This is Flex and Herds. You're listening to Death of the Reader here on 2SER, your murder mystery world tour. And Herds, I'm I'm in the deep end with this one. <laughs> yeah, no, I look. I did some digging around on the social medias uh, of at Flex and Herds, found some unlikely allies uh, on the interwebs, and 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 we've been exposed now to the works of one Japanese author, Edukawa Ranpo. Yes. Uh, who, who hereafter we shall refer to as, as Ranpo, Ranpo, because that's that's just the right way of doing it. But. Uh, your ears do not deceive you. This is, in fact, a uh, phonetically similar method of saying Edgar Allan Poe, which is uh, one of the great influences on this particular writer. Uh, the uh, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, let's say, of, of Japan. I would like um, to dispute this claim right out the gate. Wh- but before we get why? there, before we get there, Herds, what stories are we covering today in the early cases of Akechi Kogoro? Today we'll be covering the case of the murder on D Hill. D Hill is a place, by the way. It's not the name. It's like Doctor Hill or mm-hmm, Derek Hill. It's a, it's the location. It's it's the place where the murder is going to take place in a secondhand bookstore where the the bookstore and his wife has tragically passed away, and uh, we're presented with a locked room mystery of all things. We are. We are. I mean, the thing I wanted to dispute right out the gate mm-hmm. is that supposedly. According to the introduction, according to what little I have uncovered about this author, because as I'm in the hot seat, I try to avoid research for the sake of not spoiling myself. Mm-hmm. This is less. Uh, this is less Conan Doyle, less Edgar Allan Poe, one hundred percent Van Dyne. Interesting. Interesting. We have the nameless, actionless Watson character. We have so much self-referential detective fiction history. We have just the driest, least descriptive <laughs> scenes possible. <laughs> I don't think you could do a better Japanese Van Dyne if you tried. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. There's definitely a lot of uh, Van Dyne, I, I would say, parallels mm. in the way that this this author writes. Um, but the reason why, you know, most people compare him to, to Arthur Conan Doyle is is simply because uh, those are the two authors that, that directly influenced uh, Rampo's writings. And, of course, as the sort of modern father of detective fiction in Japan, it's easy to compare uh, our, our detective, Akeshi Kogoro, with the likes of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, up to it, including his kind of eccentric, strange methods of, of dealing with cases. Um, although you are right in that uh, the, the methods by which Kogoro actually uh, solves mysteries are often to do with the psychology of the situation, which yep. is something very close to Van Dyne's thinking. Um, and Edgar Allan Poe, which this is something we'll get more into when we discuss the, uh, the solution of this story, uh, <laughs> Rampo, he really enjoys making strangely grotesque solutions to yeah. his mysteries. Um, one of the stories that I really wanted to to cover, uh, at least tangentially, is is I believe it's the the story of the the, the living chair, and it's basically a story about how uh, a man stuffs himself inside of a chair to like rob a, a hotel every night or a restaurant every night. And nobody knows that he's there, and he eventually realizes that he actually enjoys living inside the chair, and then he can, like, <laughs> figure out who's, like, sitting on him based on the, like, 
feeling of their of their butt, like on him inside the chair. And the twist at the end is that he's inside your house right now. And it's great. It's a very like Edgar Allan Poe, like, ah, like scary horror story, very grotesque and strange. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that uh, we'll, we'll get into more so uh, as we as we continue through these stories. Um, but uh, Rambo here is very interested in provoking the reader and uh, exploring strange, grotesque ideas, which I, I really enjoy personally. Yeah, the thing I've particularly enjoyed about, I guess, one of the differences between uh, Akechi Kogoro and Philo Vance is that where Philo Vance is an upper-class, near-aristocrat at the top of American society, Akechi Kogoro is basically a recent university graduate with too much time on his hands. Yes. And I think that that is used to good effect in the story because both the insert character of Ergao Rampo and Akechi Kogoro use that kind of youthful traveling about, going to bars, going to cafes to get in and amongst the crimes rather than just being pure walls of thought and reason the entire time. A lot of the thinking in this story seems to be done behind the scenes. And whilst it's still very dry and psychology focused, everything is done in setting rather than in head. Yes. Uh, And something else that's kind of notable here is that the, the influence um, of kind of the characterization of Akeshi Kogoro mm. um, comes, and this is admittedly in the text, he's referenced many times, uh, it, the crippled storyteller Kanda Hakuryu uh, is the influence of Akeshi Kogoro's character, the way that he'll tussle his hair around and he'll sit kind of awkwardly and he'll carry a flute and he'll, you know, uh, he, he'll ramble on and on. Like, it, it's just, it, it's very telling that the influence um for, for for Rampo here on his the way that he characterizes a detective comes from a storyteller. It mm. doesn't come directly from a detective or a scientist or a logician. It comes from somebody who tells stories. Um, and particularly the way that this this case is solved, which again we'll, we'll get into, um, it's it's very much two people telling each other stories and seeing which one they kind of think is more more real, which I find to be very, very interesting. I should also say, before we get much further into this, this edition that we're reading was translated by uh, William Vateresian, I think is how you pronounce his name. I believe so. Uh, yeah. And it, the they've done a really excellent job of getting through some of the quirks of the Japanese stylings, for example, the uh, imperial equivalent measurements that have been yes. translated to let the story still flow in the English writing while still having a lot of authenticity to it. And I think that there's been a lot of respect paid to that and has come through very linguistically fluent. I never felt like, ooh, that's clunky. No, for sure. It's all very clean and well integrated. Yeah, I mean, it it has to, at the end of the day, feel very, very... Japanese, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Because, because, and this is, this is kind of interesting. uh, Rampo's intent when he wrote this first story, he didn't necessarily want to create another Sherlock Holmes, but he wanted to, uh, because critics had said, you know, those those detective novels, you couldn't have that in Japan Mm. with these, you know, paper walls and, uh, and, and how closely our our buildings are to each other. There's, there's no way you could set up a, a compelling murder mystery in a Japanese setting. Like that just wouldn't work. Yeah. And that's exactly what, 
uh, Rampo sets out to accomplish. Um, he creates in the murder on D Hill, he creates a locked room mystery with, uh, conveniently one witness at each like geographical direction, uh, to, to make the locked room real. Mm. Um, and he presents, uh, evidence. Like he has very clearly stepped into this first story with the mindset of creating something uniquely Japanese and something that will, uh, prove to, to critics and to authors alike that you can set a murder mystery in Japan without compromising the sort of, uh, the, the, the core features of, of Japanese households. You know, he's not, and then I walked into the Western style house, which as you know, <laughs> have very solid walls that you couldn't sit through, you know, like he, he very clearly is, acting with intent mm. here, and I really respect that. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a couple of interesting comparisons I want to draw here. Sure. Uh, first of all is to Isaac Asimov, who basically wrote with the same challenge that instead of you can't combine murder mystery in Japan, that you can't combine murder mystery in science fiction. And he approached that in a very similar, direct, purposeful way. But I think the interesting distinction there is that Rampo has written in such a way, not that it necessarily fits as such Japan, more that it kind of uh, works around Japan, which is an interesting mm. way to tackle that challenge. Like, there's obviously great use of the Japanese scenery and lifestyle and descriptions and language. The weird thing is, is that when I think of, you know, the paper walls, for example... Uh, at no point is there really as much mention of the noise that went through the walls. It kind of sure. positions things to to avoid those problems rather than smashing the problems into yes. the story, which is something that I think Asimov did with the challenges of science fiction really well. I feel like you've chosen a very specific wo- word there, using the word smashy, because I'm just saying if, if I were in Japan and I were to commit a murder, I would literally smash through those paper mm. walls and just... Just get out of there. I feel like yeah. that's exactly how you would you would undertake the murder. Um, and and as you say, that's something that we uh, we very clearly avoid in favor of uh, actually examining ideas of subjective truth and perception of reality, which is really fun. <laughs> yeah. the The other example I wanted to draw, and we won't mention the name of the story because we have oh, behind no. the scenes agreed to ban it until we cover it on the show. Not yet. But yeah, there is a Japanese day. author who led us to doing this show in the first place who did the exact opposite of this by just putting a Japanese story straight into a Western household. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's kind of curious seeing how similar they feel almost. Mm. Like, it's been a while since we've read that story in particular, but I think that the influence there is very, very direct, and it'll it'll be fun to see if we get to that story down the line, how that avoidance and usage of Western tropes of murder mystery influenced Japan. Because obviously when we were covering... Uh, Cheng Xiaoqing in previous weeks, the stories were just so horrifically Chinese. It was sometimes Mm. difficult as a Western reader to get some things. Whereas I think the integration is a lot cleaner, but by the same measure, less unique in Rampo's work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to to compare this to, to Cheng's work, of course, because his works were very clearly set out to deliver morals to their stories, and there there are morals in in 
in Rampo's work as well, but they're not nearly as overt. I don't feel like I'm being lectured a lot of the time, which is something I felt during Cheng's writing. Not not to his detriment, mind you. Um, but it is interested in exploring certain themes. I mean, we, we see that in this first story, and this is another thing that we can kind of tie to. That author that shall not be named, uh, he, uh, Akeshi, when, when kind of confronted about uh, his the, the narrator's like solution for the crime, brings up uh, several studies and cases about the perception of reality and how easy, uh, how easily mutable our own memory of events is. Yeah, uh, which is really exciting to me. And I wonder if I wonder why it is that both Japanese authors that I've that I've read both kind of employ that theme, that trope um, of exploring what is what is real and how do we decide. I would wager that it is just a direct influence. I would wager that the unnamed author has, in fact, just lifted this from the pages of Akechi Kogoro. That's that's kind of what I'm curious to to think about and to do some research into, but maybe we'll chat about that as we go along. The other thing that's really interesting about that is that much as we were speaking with Robert Gott when we were doing Good Murder, it's kind of weird bringing in the reliability of memory to a murder mystery story, mm-hmm. because the moment you do that, you just start to open holes in yes. the premise of the genre. Yes. <laughs> you, as, a, as a general rule, when a witness says, I saw X, we should take that to be a true thing, unless they're like an accomplice. Yeah. Or there's some specific reason for them saying X. And uh, something that, that uh, Rampo sort of puts forward is says, no, not in my mur- in my murder mystery. Sometimes people make mistakes and that's yeah. just part of the mystery now. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, and truth be told, I do like it when it's used cleverly. The problem is, is that when we deal with the fairness of a murder mystery, it can start to get really, really obnoxious. Yeah. Because one point that we uh, spoke about with Robert Gott is that basically the author could just change the reliability of any one statement to suit any possible solution. Yeah. And that is true. And also why this trope is really difficult to integrate, because if you have unreliability of memory, then immediately the reader has no grounding source yeah. of truth to grapple mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's a place that can be filled much more effectively with unreliable narrators and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Though that said, that said, I think that the use in the case of the murder on D Hill is subtle enough that I'm willing to let it slide, and I wouldn't ever want to st- stifle innovation. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. It's used very deliberately in this story. It's not a gotcha moment. Um, if if you are paying attention to the clues in the story, it's fairly easy to actually solve this one. Um, and, and yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll chat more about how, how easy you would have solved this mystery flex in the next part. (laughs) (laughs) Truth be told, truth be told, I think because I avoided reading the preamble Mm. by William, uh, going into this story, I actually nearly missed it. Interesting. Uh, the solution to this story. Yeah. It's, it's pretty obvious if you, if you have, half a mind for the sort of content that Rampo is putting in his work. Yeah, which, yeah. which truth be told, I don't normally. So, you know, Herds, maybe if this had been the, the story you'd challenge me to, uh, you may have ousted a point from under my feet. That's all right. That's what we have. That's what we have next week. But yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and let's chat about the solution to the murder on D Hill. You're listening to Death of the Reader. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here 
the Your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are talking the case of the murder on D Hill from the early cases of Akechi Kogoro by Edogawa Rampo. And listen, we should once again apologize as we do when covering any non-English story for butchering look, the pronunciation of anything and everything. It's just, look, I don't even trust my pronunciation of English names, let alone foreign names. So just bear with it. Mm-hmm. Just bear with it, y'all. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I look, I've been I've been hanging onto the edge of my seat waiting to talk about the the solution to this story because it is at once incredibly obvious, but also it's like did he go there? Is he actually going to go there? Because the setup for the the, the second half, this, this story is nicely uh, sort of categorized with the facts and the the reasoning, the solution basically. It's nicely cut in half for us. Um, and we are, we are proposed by the narrator, our, our Watson character, who's sort of implied to be uh, Rampo himself. Um, he's he's talking about you know all of these facts line up. There's a witness at every door. Iwen asks this guy at the sober shop, and Akechi, you're the only person who touched the light switch, which means that you are the only person who could have done the murder. And da 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 da. And Akechi bursts out laughing because the solution is so like incredibly complicated. That's when we get a lecture from Akechi on the nature of truth and perception. Because, of course, he comes up with a counterpoint to every single thing that that our narrator throws at him. Um, One of the big kind of sticking points uh, is that uh, Akechi was wearing a a striped uh, kimono at the time of the murder, and there are these kid witnesses who saw uh, a kimono through through the shutters, inside the building. Uh, one of them saw a, a white kimono, one of them saw a black kimono. And so uh, and a narrator says, you know, obviously it's because they, it's a striped kimono and that, that you could only see the stripes through the shutters, um, which is incredibly ridiculous. And that, uh, Akechi simply says, well, what if they didn't, what if they didn't see anything at all? What if they're just like, what if they're just making it up basically? What if they just completely misremembered like due to the stress of the situation? Um, which is amazing. I love that this is where we're going. You know what? Yeah. Honestly, I, I, I agree. I agree in principle with everything you've just said. Here's where I I have a problem. Okay, let's go. It is honestly one, one of the most exciting feelings in murder mystery when we start to break the rule that the detective themselves must not be the criminal. Okay? That is... It's a moment that we haven't had yet on the show. I want it to happen. I hope that we get there at some point, okay? Because, you know, Van Dyne, he's been, he's been hovering over my shoulder with that, with that fourth rule of his. And if it happens one day, oh, and, you know, Knox with his seventh rule, it's, it's, it's one of the defining ones. It makes both lists, okay? So when I was looking through the factual clues and saying, oh, okay, we got the striped kimono, we got this, we got that, he's the only one to touch the light switch, there's no other fingerprints on the light switch, oh my god, is Rampo going to do it? That was, that was an exhilarating feeling. I was like, oh, oh my goodness, it's taken, it's taken 24 stories to get there, but we we may actually finally be about to bust these rules open. I mean, it, it would have been possible because when, uh, when Rampo created this story, it was initially supposed to be a one-off. Kogoro wasn't supposed to come back at all. So there was definitely room for it. Here's the thing, though, is that when I got to the end of that story, there's the line where it says uh, that, oh, look, he's turned himself in. And then the page turns... 
and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, are we about to continue and turn out that Akechi bribed him and this is all him covering his own tracks and what's the real reason he did it? But then the story just ends. I was like, damn it! <laughs> we were so close! I want to let you know, I did read the introduction before reading the story, so I was in some way kind of, I was primed for it, but there is a really obvious line. I'm going to see if I can if I can find it for you, but it basically is there's these two old ladies talking about how the, the bookseller's wife always has these weird, like, pinches and bruises on her body, and they say, well, I don't, that's weird. Like, I didn't think that her husband was, like, particularly unkind towards her. Like, I don't think that's what's going on, so, like, that's weird. And then one of the other ladies says offhand, kind of offhandedly, like, that's strange that the wife at the, at the sober shop also has those pinches and bruises. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then the author literally, like, in the narration says, I, I didn't pay much attention to this comment, but you'll find out later on that it's important to solving the mystery. And it's like, yep. hmm. <laughs> uh, here's the thing, is that I, I, I have figured it out by that point, but I was really hoping, I was really hoping that it was going to be that that was the leverage that Akechi used to bribe the guy into turning himself in. It, it ended up stopping a bit before that, which was, uh, you know, whatever. I, I have no complaints because it's a great story. It has this, like, you know, taboo undertone, which it uses very sparingly and intelligently. Um, I think that because the clues are basically confined to that mention at the start and the bruises over the body of the uh, of the victim midway through when Detective Kobayashi is looking over the corpse. You know, there's there's not really much to go off. It's almost the explicit trap of the story to realize that it is not a catchy and realize that the clues were so simple. Well, I mean, that's really all it is, right? It's a story in overcomplicating the narrative because you... You work yourself in a corner. You say these are the facts, and what what is the only solution that fits into these facts? Like it's a very it's very much kind of critiquing um, the the I suppose the more logical and critical method of approaching murder mysteries that ignores the characters, which I think is is really cool. And I I think that it is a very intelligently well played subversion of some of the tropes of the genre, and I think that it uh, it was done effectively and efficiently, but. It's one of those weird stories where I think to myself, your subversion is less interesting than the thing it is subverting. I don't really have a complaint, I guess, to make about it because it was so early in Japanese detective fiction with these Western trappings. It was a very creative use of things that would become a trend as we saw in the early uh detective fiction golden age with people like Van Dyne and Rampo taking these uh, these aspects of the genre and actively undermining them. Um, but it kind of gets to the same point as Van Dyne, where I think to myself, is this any more interesting than the things that you're critiquing? It's, it's funny that we should bring it back to Van Dyne. I was, I was planning on doing so myself, but you beat me to it. Because... One of the similarities that, that you pointed out is that both authors, Rampo and Van Dyne, they like to harp on the psychology of the situation, how physical evidence doesn't matter nearly as much as actually understanding psychology. But something that, that something that Rampo does that, that Van Dyne uh, kind of struggled with, at least in terms of, of my engagement, is that he, he would talk about, you know, how important the psychology was, and then we would have a scene where his detective would say, you know, and then I used my psycho my psychology skills to get the real truth out of this person. Like, okay, good on you. You've done it. That's very that's very Mary Sue of you, as one might say. 
Um, but Rampo in this story, not only is he put in a, a kind of vulnerable position potentially by um, by being accused by the narrator, he uses actual studies in psychology to support his thesis, which is something that I don't actually see done in murder mysteries very often. But I love what I love when this happens because I um, not many people know this, but I actually studied psychology back in high school, and one of the um, one of the big studies that we we actually uh, talked about, we did a whole semester basically on memory, um, was one involving an, an automobile accident. I think this is the same one that's referenced in the story, um, and it was basically that uh, they did a they did a clinical like study on people who were shown a movie that was about a minute long of a car accident, and they're asked all these questions about you know was it raining, what color was the car. Did you see the dancing bear? No, I made that one up. But all these, all these various questions. Same principle, though. All these various questions about the car accident were asked, and I and they essentially came out that the accuracy was like thirty percent. Like it was terrible. Um, and it, this study was was more or less designed to just prove the idea that witnesses are your primary source of evidence in a in a case. I think that's what I was referring to in the first segment of the show when I was talking about it using their position as recent university graduates intelligently because it provides a context for them discussing these studies and these theories so that it doesn't ever feel like the author just lecturing us on the nature of science and reality. It's a matter of the characters having a personal investment in the things that they are discussing. And I think that that is very effectively done. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that's really difficult to integrate. Like if someone was heard to take us as individuals and put us into a murder mystery, we would suck as characters. We'd be on the sidelines being like, well, actually that doesn't really work with these rules of the genre. And you know, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't ever fit into a murder mystery story, but somehow uh, Rampo has managed to write these two characters who are a couple of nerds into the story and not made them as obnoxious as we are. I mean, uh, Akeshi Kogoro in particular, he's he's styled after this this storyteller. Um, but I actually do see char- characters like him in other Japanese media. It's kind of the uh, the eccentric genius character, but it's it's the. I'm struggling with how to kind of describe it because eccentric geniuses characters are, are in Western and Eastern literature, but there's, there's this particular character in, uh, in the, in a, a, a lovely little story called death note, uh, known only as L who is tasked with solving a murder case. And he like sits on chairs, like on his feet, like he'll stand and crouch on chairs and he's like obsessed with desserts and he's like always a mess. And that particular type of character seems to be, uh, pervasive, and I, I again, I'm I'm curious if that character was directly inspired by Keshi, uh, which I love. I love that I'm kind of uh, as as we do on this show, we go back through the history of of murder mystery and go around the world, and we uh, we find all the uh, the influences uh, of of modern modern media. You know, I think it's always great finding those things. You know. There's so many stories when you go back to them, and I I think this collection will probably be one of them, where it's less that it is inherently a great story in itself, and more that it is so inspiring to see the things you love and where their origins are. Um, 
because, you know, this story is great, but I wouldn't ever mark it down as one of my favorite murder mystery stories. But there are so many elements that I'm like, oh, that's where this comes from. And that's the best feeling. We see it become a recursive thing. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a, a discussion on how uh, there is a, a, a game in which, a, a modern game in which Ikeshi Kogoro, I guess, is in the game. And people are discussing whether Ikeshi Kogoro is based off of the characters from Death Note, which is exciting. So we have this like recursive inspiration through de- throughout different mer- media, murder mystery media properties. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of something that just happens naturally as uh, different characters leave the consciousness of the uh, of the younger generation, but are still pervasive in the older generation who are making that media. And so we have this sort of uh, uh, what what we, what we call like a merry-go-round, like a, like a big circle where people are getting off and getting on again and saying, "Oh, I've never seen you before," but we, you know, if you go back one or two cycles, you'll you'll see these old characters and their influences. We'll be wearing parachute pants any day now. I will say, before we wrap up, disappointed that I have to mark this story as fair. I was really hoping I could puncture a couple of Nox and Van Dynes through this one. But you know what? Rampo, fine, you've done it. So hopefully next week we can break a couple of rules, Herds, because I'm craving it. I'm craving it. Well, that'll be exciting to do. Uh, For next week, we're going to be continuing with the early cases of Ikeshi Kogoro. um, And we'll be tackling the Black Hand Gang and the Ghosts. Um, th- these stories are, are kind of notable because uh, R- Rampo didn't really like these stories. They're a lot shorter than his other his other Kogoro tales, but he wrote them uh, kind of to expand on this on this character. But he he never really felt like they were they were properly fleshed out and finished. So that'll be exciting to talk about. I want you to read the Black Hand Gang up to the hidden facts. At which point, stop reading it there and see if you can solve it. Now, I, I feel like the who of this story is going to be pretty straightforward. So, uh, especially after reading three of uh, Edogawa Rampo's stories, I want you to really nail down the how. Um, that is your challenge for next week, for next week's point. Well, thank you for joining us here on Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds with your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER. Next week, The Black Hand Gang and The Ghost from the Early Cases of Akechi Kogoro by Edogawa Rampo. Looking forward to seeing you there. We're out.